Hello and welcome to Your Intention Matters, the podcast. My name is Paul Madot. I hope everybody's having a great day. I certainly am. It's Friday as we kick off February. I hope all is well. I'm pretty excited about this particular episode. I have Jeremy Donovan, SVP Sales Strategy and Sales Ops over at Salesloft. Jeremy, welcome. Thanks, Paul. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on. As a fellow podcaster, I, I'm always delighted to be on the other side of the microphone. Yeah, I know. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a pretty cool thing to do both sides. And so I really appreciate uh, you freeing up some time to speak with us today. Uh, where are you today? I am ordinarily in New York, but today I'm at the company's headquarters down in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, great. Well, listen, we'll save travels. Uh, Jeremy, for those who aren't uh, that familiar with you, um, take a couple seconds here and introduce yourself. Yeah, I guess we're going to go deeper into kind of the intentionality that I applied to get to, to where I am right now. But at the very, very highest level, I, uh, as you mentioned, I'm the head of sales strategy and operations at SalesLoft. Uh, I did not start, I guess, to build some anticipation. I did not start my career by any means, by any means at all in sales. So um, it, it was an interesting path that I would not have expected when I was, you know, 21, 22, 23, whatever it was, maybe even 30 or 35 to even be where I am today. So happy to chat through that. Well, good, good. And again, I I appreciate uh, your time here. You know, as I was speaking to you before we hit record, the the objective and the focus of the podcast, hence the title, is that your intention matters. And, you know, an organization can provide uh, a sales representative, uh, new or tenured, with a number of different support tools, whether it be CRM training and product training and sales skills training, they can give them the how to do this and marketing documents and so forth. But everything starts with intention. Everything starts with mindset that nothing is really given that if if, if we don't have the fire in the belly propelling you into something, you're probably not going to make the shift. And hence the title, Your Intention Matters. And, you know, in speaking with you and, and following you, you know, through social media and, you know, taking a look at, at the career that you've been able to carve out, um, I, I was obviously very impressed by it. And I thought it'd be a great guest. And uh, I'd love for you to uh, share your story with us. And so uh, if you're open to it, uh, let's go back to the beginning. Uh, what was your first sales job? Funny enough, I was not, uh, didn't, didn't intend to end up in sales, but I was if I wind the, my life way, way back into my childhood, I was always had some sort of hustle going. And my three hustles were comic books, uh, baseball cards, and mangoes. So the reason for that is I grew up in Miami, Florida. At least that'll give you the mango piece of it. But on the comic book side, I would I would buy and sell comic books. I wasn't even really a fan of comics. I never really, I never read them. Uh, I just tried to figure out what other people wanted and, and bought those. Did it with baseball cards, not a huge baseball fan. I, I often jokingly refer to my knowledge of sports as sports ball <laughs> because I, I, I couldn't tell you much about uh, much about anything. We just had, uh, you know, not long before we recorded this, the Super Bowl, which I did not watch even a minute of. And I had to ask my my 16 year old who was actually playing. Uh, and then uh, mangoes was because I, I grew up in Florida. We had a couple of mango trees in the backyard. So I would set up a uh they were called card tables. Younger people probably don't even know what a card table is, but a, a little table that people would actually play bridge or other cards on. And 
and hold up a sign, 25 cents of mango. So that's how that, I think of mango selling, I guess, as my first as my first sales job. Well, that must make me old because I know what a card table is. So, <laughs> hey, listen, I'm curious. So, you know, when you talk about baseball cards back in the day, is it something you still collect at all now as a passion? That's a gr- no one's asked me that. Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So, no, I don't with an asterisk, which is there was, you know, there's always the one that got away. So when I was when I was younger, and you know couldn't afford it there was this it was not a baseball card it was a basketball card it was the rookie card of that had larry bird magic johnson and maybe akeem olajuwon on it and i always wanted that card it was a 1980 tops card yeah it's but, with but, dr j oh doctor that's it mm-hmm. dr j that's right it was yeah. the third and yeah. and i always wanted that and about two or three years ago i said it just came back in my mind and i went on ebay and and bought one and it wasn't even like i'm sure you could buy much more expensive you know, super mint versions of that. But I just bought a run of the mill one just so I could every once in a while take it out and relive a little bit of my childhood. Well, listen, I mean, that, that's a conversation for another day because I'm a big collector as well. And I, I, I know all about that card. And that's a tough one to get because so many cards, kids used to rip the cards apart because it's it's perforated. And so anyways, congrats on getting your hand on it there. So um, thank, thank, all right. Thanks. So so once you got in, out of school, um, you know, I know you went to Cornell. And you took electrical engineering. Uh, did you get into an actual engineering career? I I did, and yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I'm I was a little unusual, I guess. I mean, everyone's their own special snowflake, but I was a little unusual as a kid. That I think around the time I was ten years old, I decided I wanted to be an electrical engineer, and I, I don't know that I knew what that even meant. My uh, my I didn't have engineers in my family, teachers, and. Um, you know other professions but i got that in my head and and from that point on i pursued sort of you know that 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 field and i did a lot of kind of math and science stuff throughout uh throughout high school and that's what led me to cornell was i wanted to be an electrical engineer and i i studied semiconductor physics there and and yeah the first job out of school i worked for a semiconductor company out in in silicon valley during the during the first tech boom, the the or at least the one I think of as the first tech boom, which was the late 1990s. Right, the dot com era. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So okay, so you you're you're in sales, hustling younger. You go to Cornell for electrical engineering. You you do that for a period of time, and then you 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 jump ship into sales. And there has to be a story there. How, yeah, how, how did that happen? A- there's quite a story there. And it actually, I mean, it, it gets at a piece of, I guess the first piece of advice I suppose I have, which is I, I very much think that there's, or I've seen, I've observed, I guess, two different ways of, of sort of approaching your career progression. One approach is, is the, the kind of more traditional linear progression. You, let's say you're in sales, you come in as, a, as an SDR, as a sales development rep, scheduling appointments for for uh, senior account executives, then you become an AE, then you become an AE manager, then you become a manager of managers, eventually you become a CRO, and maybe uh, if that's not good enough for you, you become a CEO one day. So like that's the very linear progression. Um, I, I, I don't know at what point that I sort of dawned on me, but definitely it dawned on me in my early 20s that that was not the path I wanted to take. Um, after I was an engineer for a couple of years, I joined Gartner. And I joined Gartner where I switched over from being a semiconductor engineer to being a semiconductor industry analyst. So I, I dropped a bit of the technical piece, but I picked up a lot more of the business acumen side of things. And when I was doing that job, you know, there was a, for, for some 
I, I did that for almost eight years actually. And while I was doing that job, um, I, I really thought, Hey, you know, I want to be the best semiconductor industry analyst on the planet, whatever that means. And, you know, that, that in a way was sort of that much more linear progression is, is to become the, you know, the 99th percentile expert in something. And somewhere along the way, uh, I, I felt like, I don't know, like I, I, that I wanted to manage my career in a bit of a different way, which is rather than doing that linear progression, I, I refer to this. I'm sure I learned it. I steal everything from somewhere else. I don't think I invent anything novel, but well, that's uh, fair. I, the, the concept of like a stair step progression to your career. So what I proceeded to do that led me from uh, doctor engineer to sales strategy and ops goes as follows. It's basically to to add a word and drop a word with every career change. So I'll walk you through it. So semiconductor engineer, right? I dropped engineer and added analyst. And uh, from and then from that, I, I moved over into um, product development of, of kind of technology related offerings. So like the tech, the semiconductor thing was sort of there in the tech, but I added the product development kind of word or phrase. I dropped product development. I moved into product management. I dropped the management piece. I moved into product marketing. I dropped the marketing piece. I moved into pure corporate marketing. And that was uh, the last job that I had after 16 years at, uh, at Gartner, which was their equivalent of, of CMO. And then I decided to leave when we can talk through that because it was definitely intentionality behind, um, you know, why after 16 years of a very successful career at, a, at an incredible company did I decide to move. Um, I had kind of personal and professional reasons I'm happy to go into on that. And then I, but kind of keeping that progression, I then added sales to marketing. And then I dropped marketing and added operations to sales. So that was like the, that was the progression. And, uh, you know, the piece of advice there is, is, is think about whether you want to, you know, pursue that sort of traditional linear path, or you want to do the stair step. And if you do the stair step, the important message in that is to hold on to the foundation that you've built but then acquire new skills at the same time. Like don't run away 180 degrees from what you've established. Leverage that as the stepping stone. That, I think that's why I call it the stair step. Uh, leverage that as a stepping stone into the next role. Well, you know, you, you touched on your decision to leave Gartner. And I, I, I'd love to hear that, you know, as you and I were speaking uh, just earlier today, you know, I, uh, and if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know that I spent about 10 years working for Xerox in a few different roles. And I'm always fascinated by um, an individual's decision to leave after working for an organization for such an extended period of time, because here in 2020, you don't really see the loyalty there uh, for 16 years on both sides, companies to employer, employees, employ, employees to employers and so forth. And so, you know, you had just touched on it, that it was a, a, a decision you made to leave Gartner. And so uh, what was your why? Why did you uh, decide to, to make the jump after what I think was probably a great career and probably the safer route is to stay with Gartner because you're there, it's what you know. And, and so why make the jump? Yeah, there were, I mean, as I said, there are both personal and professional reasons. Um, on the personal side of it, I, I'd always lived about about 50 to 60 miles from 
with the Gartner office. And over time, you know, when I started driving up there, it didn't seem to be so bad. And over time, I was spending upwards of two hours each way uh, every day in the car. And I really was missing time with my with my family. So there was definitely a, a personal reason for it. The, the professional reason, I think, also sort of gets at um, a little bit of what we just talked about, which is... Uh, I have this, I mean, as the older I get, I think the fuse is sort of going away, but I had this like three year fuse that two to three year fuse that I, I, I would grow tired and bored of whatever I was doing and I needed to learn something new. So I got really, it was, you know, you've talked a few times about, you know, the, the hard work that people need to put in. And I agree. And I, I think there's a, there's with, with kind of any progression and career progression, uh, hopefully positive pro career progression. There's like a combination of hard work and luck always. So the the lucky thing that happened to me at Gartner was that I I basically was able to fire myself from <laughs> a job, a, a role, I should say, every two to three years and then move into another one. And and what happened to me, at, you know, sort of at the end was I was I was in corporate marketing, running corporate marketing for like two or three years. And I'd reached a height within the company where there was nothing really at the peer level that like made sense for the company to move me into. And, um, and it wasn't, I, I wasn't the right fit for a variety of reasons to move upwards. Um, and, and so I, I, I fired myself again, but I fired myself <laughs> into another company at long last after making those progressions every few years. So I, I think it was, it really was the, you know, the combination of that sort of personal uh, prioritization that, that I had going on. And then secondly, uh, uh, you know, potentially equally as important was just like, I needed to learn something new. And, and by moving, I was able to, to add the revenue side, the sales and sales side to the marketing piece that I had already built up. You know, when you eventually decided to leave uh, Gartner and, you know, your last day came or when you actually put in, you know, your, your formal resignation, um, how much time did it take for you to actually, when did you start thinking about it to when it actually happened? Was it a, a quick snap or was it a long elongated um, thought process where you had to weigh the pluses and minuses of actually doing it? It was an elongated thought process for sure. And I'm trying, now you're like, you're bringing me back to those days. I, I felt... I mean, having been somewhere 16 years, you know, as you said, today, careers or, or jobs in particular places are, are, are more ephemeral. Um, I felt like I was terrified to leave Gartner, actually, because I, I felt like it was my home. You know, I mean, everybody I knew worked, worked, worked there. Um, everyone I trusted works there. You know, it's just kind of goes on and on. It's just become so much a uh, part of who you are. If you work at a company that long, your identity becomes wrapped up in that. And I, I thought, you know, who's going to hire me outside of, I had all these irrational fears, which especially in the economy that we've been living in for the past, you know, whatever it is, eight years or so, eight, nine years, like those are very irrational fears, but I had a lot of irrational fears and I, I was quite terrified. Um, I would say it took me a, at least a year from the point where I made the decision I was going to leave until the point I actually left. And, you know, during that year, I definitely tried to, I don't know if I even interviewed for something, but I just had conversations. I had a very open relationship with, I always have with my managers about like where I'm going. And I had a lot of open conversations to say, Hey, like I, I, I want to, I want to shift into a new role. Um, 
what makes sense and we we tried to explore and sort of figure out but as i said uh you know there was nothing that made obvious sense at that point uh and they were happy with me continuing to do what i was doing right uh it was i guess more my own unhappiness uh, or not unhappiness but sort of that just that learning that yearning for learning i think is the right way to put it um yeah i don't know if did i answer the question or yeah, was... perfectly and it, because that's exactly how it went down and you know as we were speaking um you know before the podcast i i brought you up to speed on, on my current state and my background and and what I do, and you know that I, I work with a lot of sales representatives, and oftentimes I end up working with those that are maybe five years or under, maybe even some cases two years or under, and, and they will see, um, uh, you know, top level executives, senior uh, performers, and uh, top representatives of a company, but they see them at current state. They don't see what it was like for them to get to that point. And so, you know, when you mentioned that, you know, you were terrified to leave, um, I, I think a lot of people can resonate because there's a lot of people listening who would say they're in the same boat with the same company for a long time. The, 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 the path of least resistance is to stay the course because you don't know what you don't know. Even if you're going to uh, another organization who is just as well represented uh, and has a lot of credibility in a different industry, you don't know what you don't know. And so um, I think a lot of people are in the same boat. So I appreciate you, uh, you know, kind of sharing that. Um, any regrets after leaving Gartner at all? No, I have no regrets. Um, the, I mean, those, those two things I was seeking were, you know, sort of very much realized in, in, in the, the progression I followed after that. I mean, one is I, I decided to work in New York city proper, which is, uh, which was, a much much shorter commute for me i live in i live in northern new jersey and i'm a big reader so i i you know i would i would listen to books on on what well, was books on cd way back well really books on tape way way back in the day but uh books come on, on jeremy CD what's a tape MP. we don't know what a tape is yeah i know i know it's yeah <laughs> i, I do unfortunately describe that but uh, you know the equivalent i guess of today's podcast in some ways but longer for longer form that so I, I would listen to those on my commute but I mean, I, if I had the choice between listening to a book versus reading a book, I'm always going to read the book because you are able to, like, when you're listening to it, it just keeps going, right? And there are times when you're reading a book where you really want to take a second and process and relate that information to, like, your life and what you're doing, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. Well, that's great to hear. You know, I'd, I'd love to hear about your decision to go to Sales Loft because, you know, you... You're at Gartner, uh, long period, a number of different roles, so different experiences. You, you make the jump uh, over a two to three year period, three to four year period, uh, sorry, three to four years, I should say. You work for a couple companies and then you decide, okay, I'm, I'm going to move over to SalesLoft. So how did that happen? Yeah, great question. Uh, that I, I definitely had that four-ish year period of discovery. And, and what I was learning during those four years, um, I'll give you a, kind of another sort of framework that I use. I'm very framework driven. Uh, I, I learned most of the framework from a great book called So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport. Uh, I would encourage folks, especially if they're early career professionals, to read that book. It's, it is absolutely transformative. And by the way, read everything Cal Newport writes. He's, he's a computer science professor one of the uh, East Coast colleges, maybe Georgetown or something like that. I can't ever remember where he actually works. And he writes these great books for for um, that are not about computer science. They're about career and 
and and journey. But so so what I, here's what I was figuring out, and and then I kind of took from his book, which is my four my four part framework for choosing a job uh, and where I'm going to work. One is that there's meaning in the work, and that it that took me to define. And the definition I've come up with is uh, is that is that I would sell the product to a friend or a family member and believe that I was selling them something that was going to help them to be successful, that I was selling them the, the, you know, a good thing. So, and that doesn't have to, you know, some people talk about the sort of Silicon Valley S thing of changing the world. Like I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't, yeah, not even necessarily. I have no expectation I'm going to change the world. Uh, but as long as I can sell people something I believe in, that's, that's the first piece. The second piece is that I'm learning and growing. And these are in no particular order and they're all subjective. Uh, I'm going to learn and grow anywhere. When I take those tests like strengths finder and those sorts of things, uh, even if I want to try to game the test in some way, learning is always number one for me. Um, my third thing, the book, the book describes it, and those first two are in the book. The third thing is in the book also, but the book describes it as a non-toxic non environment, neither physically nor mentally toxic. Uh, what I, what I have discovered in sales loft is, is a, is a refinement to that, which is that this is actually a nurturing place. It's not like, you know, you don't have to perform and if you don't perform, you know, you're, you're going to last here, but but the the degree of nurture here is is like off the charts. Uh, the openness with which people bring their whole selves to work is is off the charts, and it's because the the co-founders built. It. Someone said this the other day, like we're a we're a I forgot how they exactly put it, but it's like we're a great place to work that happens to sell software. Hmm. Like, or, you know, we're a culture engine that happens to sell software and it's very cliche, but, but the founders actually started it as a great place to work in Atlanta and, and the product in some ways, way, way back when was secondary to that mission. And, and that's still, I mean, we want to, we obviously strive to create great product for our customers, but we also strive to create an amazing place for, you know, people to learn and develop. So anyway, uh, uh, that, that, so that not, not even not, not only non-toxic, but nurturing is my third piece. And then those are the three pieces in the book. And then I realized one thing I did miss, uh, call it a regret, I guess, but one thing I missed about Gartner was Gartner has just an absolutely world-class operational discipline. And um, I really did, I mean, I grew to crave that. It became part of my DNA. So uh, in the course of my journey of trying to find a, the, the right fit for me, I was trying to find a place with, with like that degree of operational discipline. So. Uh, with SalesLoft, I had been a customer for many years. I got to know the people. I got to know the customer success. Um, I went to their their user conference. Like I was a huge evangelist before I joined. And it, and uh, once I wasn't about to move from New York because I love New York. But once SalesLoft opened up in New York, it was uh, you know I just said I actually I got in touch with the CEO and said like if you're opening in New York, uh, I don't know whether you need me or not, but I'll I will I'll I'll come running. And I and I. I had to go through all the hoops that we we put through people through and they had to like figure out the right job for me but eventually the stars aligned yeah so jeremy i was having a conversation with a broker of record over at keller williams not that long ago and, and they're on the real estate side of the business in their industry and, and she gave me a quote that says keller williams is actually a training company that sells real estate and i thought that was a great line and i think that's where you were going with uh with your quote as well and Absolutely. so uh, really appreciate you freeing up the time to be here. I appreciate your insights. Uh, last question for you. Um, let me know, what, what are you up to over at SalesLoft these days? 
Oh, what am I up to personally? Uh, or what am I or what is the company up to? Those are two different questions. I will leave it to you to answer it the way you wish. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, well, I mean, certainly the company is up to the, in the business of helping, you know, sales professionals be uh, be loved by their customers is, is the way we is the way we put it, which is a pretty hyperbolic thing to say. But but, you know, it, it is it, it relates to our, our culture um, for me personally. I, you know, I, I've ridden uh, an amazing kind of wave in my career from individual contributor to, you know, manager to senior leader. And one thing I'm sort of thinking about now is uh, further on in my career is, um, you know, I, I've been thinking about sort of managing fewer people so that I free more time up for, you know, myself to, uh, to, attack interesting challenges. So uh, that's, that is something that I'm, I'm kind of thinking about. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm up to. Cool. Okay, good. Well, listen, uh, Jeremy, we're going to wrap this one up. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Uh, thanks again for being here. Uh, remember everybody, your intention matters because that's the result you tend to get. We're out of here and uh, we'll see you next week. Go Leafs and go Raptors.